sneaky ways that this shows up that people will normalize. And they're the less obvious signs and signals. So one of them would be like the relationship scorecard, like keeping score between each other. Or you could be, you know, in an argument and you are almost like holding the relationship hostage. You know, like if you do this, if you do that, I'm out or I'm going to leave you, that sort of thing, like those kind of threats. There's also a lot of blaming, shaming, like when you're in a conversation, the intention is to, you know, win or just to blame the other person or shame them, like I said. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I'm someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. How's it going, folks? How's it going, tribe members? How's it going, strivers? Sorry, I want to apologize. The releases of these things have been a little bit erratic of late. I have no excuse, all right? I have not been serving you to the highest capacity, my ability. And um, I've just been struggling with a few things, and time has been one of them. But I'm going to get back into the swing of things, okay? And promise you that I will get a recording to you every week um, like I used to and like you're used to, okay? So I want to apologize for that, all right? Because... I know how frustrating it is when you, you're going for a run and you're like, okay, where's my daily dose of Lee Davy and these wonderful guests and we're not there. I mean, that is really frustrating. So we'll get back to that, okay? I am still in Los Angeles. Hopefully, I will um, get a work permit uh, by the end of August. That's, the, that's what the government here in the US is telling me. And uh, when that happens, I can uh, start to you know, look forward to settling my roots down here. But most importantly, I can get on a plane and go to the UK and see my boy. I can't actually leave the country right now unless it's uh, exceptional circumstances and then you need to seek authority. And that's been really hard uh, on me. It's been really hard on me because I have a 20-year-old son in Wales and I haven't been able to see him for um, between like, you know, around 18 months now. That's a that's a long time. Fortunately, he's 20. So, you know, FaceTime and WhatsApp to him is the same as a cuddle, but it's not the same. And what's been happening to me throughout this period is a lot of old shame has been coming up. A lot of um, father wounds, father wounds that um, I have um, glossed over with my father and father wounds that I've had with Jude, particularly in the wake of my divorce from his mum, and uh, subsequently falling in love with someone who lives in a different continent and having a job where I travel around the world a lot. So I wasn't an, an ordinary dad in quotes. And that doesn't mean that I was a bad dad. I don't, I don't think that at all. Uh, I don't think that at all. It's just I do wrestle with what could have been sometimes. You know, did I make the right decision to chase my dreams or should I just stayed local and spent more time with him and there is not an easy answer it's a very difficult question so i've been facing those issues with a lot of compassion a lot of self-love and a lot of self-care and encouraging you to do the same but really looking forward to getting back and seeing him for sure but while i have been in la i've been working very very hard 2021 
has been a massive year for me in terms of growth. You know, when the pandemic hit, you had two ways of going about it. You could um, cut your expenses and batten down the hatches. I decided to invest in myself. I've always, since I've been a kid, like when I get into something, I want to be the best that I could be at that thing. Not driven by perfectionism or nothing like that. Not a, in an unhealthy way. Just a drive and one self-growth. So I really want to be a world-class coach. <clears throat> and I'm getting there. And I've done a lot, a lot of training um, with Kaboom and uh, the Leap and uh, Elementum. And I'm currently under the guidance of uh, master coaches such as Preston Smiles, Christine Hasler, Stefandos, Sifandos, and Alexi Panos. And I am learning and growing so, so, so much. And in every area of my life, no matter what I've been doing, whether that's football, poker, uh, learning how to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol, uh, growing in other areas of my life, relationships. Whenever I have hired a personal coach, it's always accelerated my, my learning. Always. And the only thing that stopped me in the past from having more personal coaches has been my own money story. You know, my own money story. I can't afford it. And I can't afford it usually. Well, it is for me. And um, I see this quite a lot. And I, I think this is pretty accurate going going through this strata of people it's usually um not a money issue now it's usually like i don't i don't believe in myself i don't want this hard enough this is not as important to me as other things right now you know and those could be really really challenging questions to hear when you really feel that you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol you know you could be there thinking no i desperately want this but when it comes down to it, it, you might not really, really want it as much as you think you want it. And um, you might not be as ready as you think you are as ready. And the big one, you might not have the required self-belief and self-esteem that it takes to invest in yourself to actually make a change. And that is the vicious circle because it's actually alcohol that's eating away at that self-esteem, right? So that is one thing that I am clear of right now. If I, if I feel like a coach will, will accelerate my growth and my learning, I see it as an investment and I'm, and I'm not like I don't have the money. It's like, how can we make this happen? And get into collaboration with the potential coach. Like, how can we make this happen? This is my situation right now. How can we make this happen? So I invite you to do the same because I am really, really, really good at helping people to quit alcohol. Strive community and the support. Having that safe space is really important. But the education you get and the philosophy change is massive. But it's nothing like having the personal touch and being able to have a coach and to contact them when you need them and to really get to the root cause reasons why you drink alcohol and to fix those roots, not to just deal with the fact that you're drinking alcohol. Like we're not in the business here of helping you quit alcohol. And that's why we have guests like Megan Thomas, who's on today, for example. Megan's going to come on and talk about toxic relationships. Toxic relationships will be one of the reasons why you're drinking alcohol, but it won't be the root cause reason. There'll be a root cause reason of why you and your partner are being toxic in your relationship, right? Now, you can't fix your partner, but you can fix yourself. So what is the root of your toxicity in your relationship? If you're continually defensive, if you're continually blaming the other person, if you're continually judge, judge, judging them, Maybe you're not doing any of those things, but you can't leave. 
what are the root causes of those issues? Because those are the things that we work on at 1000 Days Sober to help you stop drinking. So I'm here for hire, folks. If you want me to be alongside you as a coach, then reach out to me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and book a call with me. Or just go to the website, www.1000daysober.com and uh, book a call with me. And also, we have a 100% free challenge it's called the Alcohol Light Bulb Challenge, where I promise you in five days, I will help you find the root cause reason why you are drinking alcohol, okay? And then you can make lasting change. Really super important stuff. All right, so that's enough about me. And how are you doing? Email me, 1kdaysober at gmail.com. Let me know how you're doing. And, and rate and review this podcast if you can. I'd really appreciate that. So we are going to talk to Megan Thomas. Uh, Megan helps women connect with their authentic power, break up with toxic patterns, and intentionally create deeper, more meaningful relationships. As a deep thinker and creative, Megan has been on a journey to self-discovery for most of her life. She knew early on one of her greatest gifts was the art of listening, and Megan could hear between the lines of what people shared and help them to uncover their deeper truth. It'll be like what I've been talking about with the root cause, right? Megan survived a toxic relationship and is on a mission to serve others, looking to end the cycle of human disconnection. Megan is here to connect and serve alongside women on the journey back to themselves, okay? Now, I don't know what podcast player you're listening to, but you'll be able to reach out to Megan at any point in, in those podcast players. You'll see the link. Or you can email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and I'll put you in touch with her personally, okay? So without much love, I will leave you the hell alone and keep you in the capable hands of Megan Thomas. Thanks for listening. Megan Thomas, how are you doing? Woohoo! I'm doing good. Happy to doing be here, yeah. Well, we were, we were just talking, weren't we, in a couple of minutes before we got on here about the ups and downs of life, about, you know, even if you're yeah. a rock star, every now and then you feel a little bit low. And um, that will segue nicely into what I want to talk about, because I want to talk to you today about toxic relationships. And um, yeah. no, I, I actually think I'm in an amazing relationship. And even though I'm in an amazing relationship, every now and then I can, I can go up, I can go down. I've been in a relationship that ended up being toxic. But it's been so long ago, I can't remember it. So you you work with this kind of stuff every day. Well, how would you define a toxic relationship? Yeah, really great question. There's lots of different ways, but essentially a toxic relationship is repeated, mutually destructive modes of relating between two people. And I love Mark Manson's definition of it as well. And he says it's um, when two people are prioritizing love over the three core components of a healthy relationship, which is respect, trust, and affection. So often when we're caught up, it's like, but I love the person. I just love them so much. But underneath it all, we are giving up so much of what we say that we value uh, to survive in that dynamic, which mm. is really unhealthy for us. Yeah. Tell us that tell us that quote again. Yeah. So a toxic relationship occurs when one or both people are prioritizing love over the three core components of a healthy relationship, which right. is respect, trust, and affection. That's trust and affection. Okay. So yeah. I imagine if someone's listening to this they will be thinking to themselves or someone would be thinking to themselves, well, isn't, isn't love, respect, trust, and affection. Right. 
And in, in our mind and in our brain, that's what we think, that's what we feel. But if we really looked at the truth of what's happening in the container, in the relationship, we actually have a lack of trust. There's a lot, there's a lack of respect and there isn't really real affection because we are relating to our partner in a way that is extremely unhealthy. Hmm. Is there a tie in here? Is there a tie in here with um, like whenever I think of love, the first thing I think of when I think of love is societal conditioning's view of love, right? Right. So, for example, I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my sisters. I love my wife. I love my kids. Why? Because I'm supposed to love them. So then if, you, if you're raised to think that way and you're not really thinking too much about these type of things, you're not really questioning what love really means. So I, I can imagine in that context, you could get to the spot where you're like, well, no, I, I'm actually married to this person, so I do love them and be completely, utterly devoid of respect, trust, and affection. Exactly, exactly. I love the thought of even like, you know, just because you don't cheat, or, you know, having an affair doesn't mean you're committed in the relationship. And just because you're in the marriage or in the, you know, relationship, whatever it is, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily, you know, what's aligned for you, what's right, and that there's true health, a healthy representation of love and admiration and respect between the two people. Yeah. Mm. So how can somebody who's listening to this how can they pick up that they're in a toxic relationship? Yeah. And I guess what I'm asking here is a subtlety. So let's say you're in a relationship sure. with someone and this guy's battering you, or you're in a relationship and this woman is just absolutely verbally abusing you. All right, we see those extremes, but what okay. about in a subtle zone where gaslighting and that yeah. kind of thing might be going on? Yeah, Totally. Yes. That's such a great question. There's a lot of sneaky ways <laughs> that this shows up that people will, normalize and it's they're the less obvious signs and signals so one of them would be like the relationship scorecard like keeping score between mm -hmm. each other or you could be you know in an argument and you are almost like holding the relationship hostage you know like if you do this if you do that i'm out or i'm gonna leave you that sort of thing like those kind of threats mm -hmm. um there's also a lot of blaming, shaming, like when you're in a conversation, the intention is to, you know, win or just to blame the other person or shame them. Like I said, there's a lack of trust typically and a lot of jealousy. You know, some people think, well, I like that my partner's jealous. It means that they, you know, care about me, but it's, it's really not that healthy for us or good for us to really be, you know, jealous of our partner. Some other ways would be in, where there's almost like this constant stress, like real high highs and real low lows is what I say, um, to where you're, you're noticing there's a lot of arguments, like almost, you know, it can be weekly, it can be daily, or you're taking this inventory about your relationship and thinking about like, wow, every time we go on vacation, we get in a fight. Or every time we do something on the weekend, we get in a fight. If you're noticing that you're starting to pull back from other relationships, like you're disconnecting from friends, from family, or even, you know, from doing things that you love to do, 
just to serve that partner or just to stay in the relationship because there's a lot of like fear of separation typically in these relationships and they're so consuming and intoxicating Hmm. that's kind of like the deathly trap so those are some more less obvious signs that Hmm. you could be going down the road to okay i got i got some, a couple of things that uh, to talk about on those scores uh-huh. um keeping score okay so yeah. obviously there's a lot of people listening to this who are really struggling with alcohol at the moment or they're in a relationship with somebody who is struggling with alcohol oh man in my first relationship one of the things that i used to do um not proud of this at all but i just uh-huh. got to a point where i was at breaking point and that was literally filming. Like I would try to film my wife. Yeah. yeah. So I could oh, yeah. so I so I could show her back what I was experiencing because the difference between being drunk and being sober is just so Jekyll and Hyde when you're trying to explain to somebody who's sober what is actually going on when they're drunk. It's like they, they just can't get it. But at the same time, by filming it like this. I mean, I look back at it now and I think it's so, so disrespectful to do that and so shaming, right? You know, like, um, and I would also write things down. Like I would literally be going, okay, I just had a fight. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to write all this shit down. Okay. I'm going to write all this shit down so I don't remember anything so I can win. Right? (laughs) Like Exactly. It's like you're preparing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're preparing a case with a court of law. You're like, I'm getting yeah. my stuff ready for the jury. I got to win this. I got to win this. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you've seen this too, Lee. It's so funny that you mentioned that there's a Black Mirror episode, if you've ever seen that. Not that we're watching a lot of Netflix I've seen, right now. I've seen, I've seen a series, but I haven't seen... There's um, one where it's like you could literally record what yes, you're seeing. Yes, yes, yes. a couple. Yes. Right. And he's like, you said that at the dinner. And she's like, no, I didn't. And they go... He played it and back. And it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, folks, listen, if you watched that Black Mirror video uh, episode like I did and said, oh, I wish I had that, you're in a toxic relationship, <laughs> right? Like, do you know? It might be. What I, what I do now, like sometimes I will be, I'll be triggered and I will go, I'll do that, right? Like I, I'll be triggered and I'll go upstairs and, I, and I'll, I'll write that shit out, right? I just want to say to people, like, I, I don't think my relationship is perfect and, you know, but I recognize that my relationship with my, my, my wife now, Liza, who I love dearly, has been toxic, right? Mm-hmm. I, I recognize that. And I recognize that I get triggered into those same toxic behaviors even today. Uh, but yes. I think the difference is, um, and this is this can segue into the question, what can we do about it when we realize we're in it? I'll get triggered. I'll go upstairs. I'll write all this shit out. And then I'll say to myself after I've written it out, what, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't take this to her. Like, this is completely and utterly blaming her. You're not taking responsibility. So then I look back through it and I say, how can I take 100% responsibility? And that's how I avoid creating the toxicity. Uh Yes, you are right on the money. So to answer your question, and that's that's pretty much it from the get-go. It's like, what do we do when we realize we're in one? Or... What do we do when we realize we are showing up in a dynamic that could be toxic, let's say, mm. and, or we're relating to our partner in a toxic way? And typically, when I work with my clients, the first thing I have them do is to get radically and brutally honest with what's going on, like mm. what is actually going on in the relationship, because 
we expend so much energy, right? Like you said, like trying to like prove ourselves or like, oh, I just, you know, what's at the bottom of that is like, I just want to be seen and heard. You can't see what you're doing. So let me show you. And I'm going to take all the notes and I wish I could record you. And it's, it's all this anxiety around what's really going on is that you're not able to connect to the person in the way that you want to connect and, or you're making excuses for their behavior, justifying, rationalizing, empathizing. There could be some of that going on. So to get really brutally honest and put on like those truth goggles and you just speak the truth or you Mm. just speak the facts of what's going on Mm. would be an initial step. And then secondly, at least from my own healing journey, my second step was seeking support. And that was, you know, working with a coach or going to a counselor, whatever that is, but it's doing your own individual work versus like trying to go to like a couple's counseling type thing. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna comment on that and you can, you can expand upon this with your personal experience, Mm -hmm. but I, I imagine, um, when you want to do this work that, trusting the other partner is a part of it so if you don't feel like you can let's say you feel like i'm going to be open up here i'm going to be vulnerable to this person and you're in a toxic relationship and you feel that they are just going to kind of like really trample you down and you can't take that then you're going to have to find that support and to go do that work somewhere else right absolutely absolutely and Sometimes it's really hard even for friends or family members to hold that space for us because usually when things go bad in a relationship or or you're having an argument, let's say, usually we can default to our friends and family members and vent to them and be like, I, we just got in this fight. I can't believe what happened. We tell them all the dirt. Sometimes, not always, but mm-hmm. that happens. And mm-hmm. then because this dynamic is just so intoxicating and there's so many high, high and lows and we get back with the person or we stay with the person at some point, the friends and family get to where they're like, I can't understand why you're doing this. I, I, I can't support this or I don't know how to help you because you've been saying all these horrific things that have been happening to you. How can you still stay with this person? Hmm. So and it gets really confusing. So seeking someone, a third party that's done this you know, work and has knowledge around this and why this dynamic is so hard is really, really helpful. Yeah. Two so. couple of things came up then is, is um, with some themes to alcohol. So it's similar to going to somebody and saying, I've got this massive, massive problem with alcohol and I'm going to try and give up. But then you just keep drinking all the time. So then that person loses faith in you. So I guess it's the same with relationships. You're like, I hate this guy. Like I want to get out of this relationship and then you don't do anything. You're going to lose that support. If they, if they really don't understand and aren't able to hold that space for a a much deeper level. Um, The other thing that came up for me was, which I think is a point worth bearing, be careful who you go and ask for advice from because typically in my experience we go and lean on the shoulder that we know is likely to support our argument right so if we're gonna yeah if we're gonna if i'm gonna bitch about liza i'm generally gonna go to people i would have in the past go to people who would support me in that bitching whereas now i am much more likely to say hey um, I trust you to give to point out my blind spots here. This is what's going on. Hit me with it hard and straight, so I can I can really get it. I think that is so important about you know choosing who you 
interact with. And let's let's just expand this. Like toxic relationships aren't just the people you're you're in bed with, right? If you if you've got no friends that you can go to and 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 feel safe that you've got those blind spots covered, you likely might be in a few toxic relationships. So true. So so true. And that's that comes from your work and you being in such an evolved space to know that. Now you want to go to people who can hold up a mirror and who can help you, you know, look Mm. at it objectively versus going to the person that's just going to get in that venting cycle with you. Like, yeah, he does suck, you know? So even though when you're in it, like when you're in the toxic relationship and then you go to someone who will tell you the harsh truth, you still don't want to hear it (laughs) because you don't. And it's so hard again, because that draw, that pull is so strong. And so then sometimes what can happen is then, then we shut down and we don't talk to friends and family members about it. And then we're left with all this shame, all this shame, because we're still in it. We're still in the relationship. We're still going back for more. Hmm. So, yeah. But now for you to be in a space where you can actually go to the person who's going to hold up a mirror to you and help hold you accountable. And again, hmm. sometimes that may be an outside party versus like, one of your friends who gives you the harsh truth, you know, it's just, it depends. Yeah. We, 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 we're in a coaching container together, right. Where we, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel more, I would say a lot of people I'm in the container with are so strangers and I would feel perfectly all right going there saying this happened yesterday. This is the way I behaved. What give me your honest truth. Like, I guess it's a, it's a a habit, right? Like vulnerability has to be, a habit you there's no there's no way around it you just got to keep going to the edge and you got to keep jumping and uh, eventually you, you just yeah. become better at it right it's so true it's so true and you know sometimes it's easier to tell your feelings to a total stranger <laughs> yeah. you guys are, i mean not that we're total strangers but you know it's it's a different perspective because your friends and family member they have their own bias anyway like they yeah see you through this other lens they've known you for so long and of course I, you know they just want what's best for you and so would a stranger i would think but sometimes it helps to just get an outside opinion to to just get a better idea of what's really going on i just just yeah. had this idea of a new business you know like in these um so i've heard in these sex districts where they have like holes where the guy can put his thing in and then he gets a blowjob yeah. right? We could change it so they have holes and you could go down to the hole and go, my wife is really fucking pissing me off. Can you please let me know if I'm wrong right in it? And somebody, A whole new glory hole. Hey, new business, Megan. We're going we're gonna to smash it. Oh, I can't wait for that. Let me tell you. <laughs> you know, I don't, on vulnerability, I had, a, I had a client yesterday. We was working together, you know, and I, it was so funny. I was like, come on, we're going to do this breathwork exercise, right? So... Um, we was doing this breath work, like a real audible kind of breath work um, exercise together. And um, after we'd finished, uh, we were talking about vulnerability and just, you know, coming clean and talking to his girlfriend about some of the things he was thinking around his alcohol addiction. And he he was honest with me and said, actually, um, I felt super vulnerable just even audibly expressing a a, a sound. And I said, oh, tell me more about that, you know? And he said, well, I was just, I'm worried that she'll think that I'm turning into some sort of freak because I'm 
now doing things that I never would have done before. Right. So I said to him, okay, you up for a challenge? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, seven days straight. You've just got to do something that's really uncomfortable. Starting with right now, go and tell your wife, your partner, exactly what you just told me. And then come back on Marco Polo and tell me how that went. He came back, Megan. He was so, his energy, he was so happy. It's like, I'm so glad I did that. We feel like we've connected a little bit more. She told me something that was on her mind. Wow, keep doing it. You know, and he did, but he didn't want to do it. He just needed a push from somebody to say, it's okay. It'll be all right. Just go do it. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Just like so much permission because that's what so much of this unhealthy relating comes from is two people literally being terrified of being so open and vulnerable. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So you you're, just said, you're right when you said two people, that. listen to what you said then two people. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, it's like that, you know, like you're walking down the street and you see someone on the other side of the street and you start panicking. I think I was in the yes. landmark forum when they said to me, well, that person's probably thinking the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. We all have the same fears, all of that. Yeah, so yeah. that's why I love this work. It's like, cause there's so much permission to, to just to show up the way you need to show up to say the thing you need to say, to even claim, like, I have a lot of shame around this, or I'm really afraid of what you're going to think of me. If mm. I say this, it's so mm. freeing Yes, because definitely. when our shame stays inside and in the dark, that's where the repressed things that we really want to do, they, they show up sort of in this unhealthy way or they show up in the shadow way because they haven't had a healthy outlet to really mm. be expressed and seen and held. So yeah, it's, you it's, can't escape. I mean, what is what I'm learning is, for the perennial repressors out there, for the perennial expressors out there, like you can't hide from it. Like let's say, yeah. let's say, let's say you're a super, super hard macho guy, right? And you've been taught all your life that you're going to be, uh, you can't be emotional because it's a pussy, right? And you're in a relationship, you and your mates, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, rah. I never get emotional. That shit is going to show in your relationships, in your interactions, all over the place, right? Right. And now let's say you do it the other way and you're kind of like shouting and screaming and you, 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 you know, you're expressing your emotions dishonorably. That's going to come out like you can't hide from it. The body will find a way to remind you that you've got shit to deal with. Absolutely. It's going to it's already there and it's just going to it's going to bubble up and explode out at some point. And it's mm. normally at points where we really, you know, <laughs> we really wish it didn't happen the way that it did. But. The longer we hold it down, the more louder and inconvenient it can be when it actually comes out. This is and this is why a lot of people this is why a lot of people drink. So yeah. like I you know, like I how can I put this? Okay, I've seen and witnessed a relationship very close to me where the woman is always, always bowing down to the man, right? Like the man rules. He comes in a house. I got to get his food on the table. I got to do whatever he says, right? Like he's the boss, right? Like a real old school um, nuclear kind of family relationship. But when that girl gets drunk, holy shit, she, she hammers that guy. And what happens? That guy just takes it, right? And, you know, that, and that is like, oh, what's happening here then? She's suddenly finding because her inhibitions are being loosened up, a way of, 
releasing her pent-up frustration with him. But they're both drunk, so it's not going to go anywhere or do anything. Like, do you know, because because she's not going to f- be able to fully and healthily complete the cycle of what she's trying to do. It's going to be a, a shit show. Exactly. It's a total shit show. Mm-hmm. And it's so unfortunate because... When, when we hold it all in for so long and then you're right, exactly. We get like, if we were to have alcohol in our system, it's like the no filter and then that stuff comes out, but maybe we don't even have a memory of what all we said, or it's just, it's not a real way of relating. So it's, it's our own work to be able to figure out what exactly our needs are, what it is that's working and not working for us, our boundaries, all of that, and then have the courage and the skills of like how to communicate that to our partner. Yeah, so. this, is, this is where the absurdity of alcohol makes me laugh. And I know I shouldn't laugh, folks, but if you don't laugh, like this shit gets too serious. So imagine this scenario, right? You've got a real, you're in a toxic relationship, you're drinking all the time, both of you. You're fighting, all that kind of stuff. You go work with Megan, and Megan super sorts you out, right? Like she she teaches you how to communicate effectively, how to have, take one hundred percent responsibility, to have empathy with your partner, compassion, understanding, personality types, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but you still are tied into this. Oh, but I need to drink alcohol in order for me to get the bravery to do this shit. So then you drink a bottle of wine. Honestly, you think you're going to be able to get everything that Megan's taught you and actually roll it out while you're intoxicated? No fucking way on earth that is happening, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Unfortunately, not. Not even mm-hmm. close. Eh, yeah. Eh, eh, as exactly used to say right. in family fortunes. <laughs> eh, eh. <laughs> eh, eh. Um, so let's talk a little bad. bit. Let's talk a little bit about when we know we're in a toxic relationship, so you gave some really, really good pointers there on figuring that out. So when we're in one, let's talk about when do we leave and when do we repair? You And if you can come from your personal experiences of actually ending a relationship. Oh, yeah. It was toxic. And I could could talk a little bit about um, repairing a relationship that was toxic. How about that? Love it. So if we don't have enough time in the world to talk about all my, <laughs> what I've been through, but that's why I'm able to do this now because yeah. honey, I've been through it all. So it, again, when we're in this kind of dynamic, it is, it's like, it takes over everything. It becomes the center of your world. You are, you are surviving you think this relationship is the only way you can survive. So when, when you do start to wake up and really see, wow, we're fighting all the time. I'm getting blamed. I'm getting shamed. Everything is projected on me. I can't wear like, I mean, I was told I can't wear certain clothes. I can't hang out with certain people. I'm only allowed one drink. If I go out with friends, it just, it, it started to get really, really bad. And there's obviously those, um, more subtle signals earlier on, but I ignored them to, to stay in this for lots of reasons. But when it came time that I was like, this is not working for any for me anymore because we were so enmeshed and we were so intertwined. And quite frankly, I had kind of cut off a lot of people in my life to stay in the relationship. So it's like, he's all I had. So we went into it trying to resolve it through couples counseling. Like I've been to, I mean, I went to a counselor on my own. He went to a counselor on his own. Then we did couples counseling work together. And I think 
it would be a long and hard road for someone to go from a toxic relationship to a healthy, thriving, loving one. I'm not saying it's impossible. Anything is possible. It's really freaking hard work because both people, both people have to want to change and both have to be committed to that work because often, and I'll take, you know, me full responsibility. When I was in that space, I was like, if he would just work on his shit would be good. Cause <laughs> I'm good. I don't have trauma. I don't have this. Woo, I had some waking up to do. Right. But I also, I really wanted to do the work. I really wanted to make it, make it work. We interrupt this incredible conversation between Megan Thomas and Lee Davey to bring you an important news flash. Lee Davey has been in a toxic relationship. Lee Davey has been on the receiving end of a toxic partner. Lee Davey has been a toxic partner and he has learned so much through those experiences. If you want to learn more about what's going on in your relationships and how that ties into alcohol, then maybe you want to hire this guy as a coach. 62% of people who have gone through the Strife Method are not drinking after one year. Imagine how much amazingness that could bring to your life if you work with this guy, yourself, individually, personally, one-on-one. Head to the website, www.1000daysober.com to work with Lee Davey. Thank you. So both partners would have to like really get brutally honest about the lack of trust, the lack of affection, all of that, which we did. And we held on for a while until, you know, one or both people tend to fall off. So in our situation, he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. So like, I don't want to do the work anymore. Yeah. So we split up, but then because of our attachment style and this way of relating and this kind of fantasy bond we were in, he came back and we decided to both individually do our own work, which is what I would recommend from the get-go now. I don't think it works going in together. It's like both people need to do their own work. So I hired my own coach and he hired his own coach. And we both grew exponentially in those containers. And for me, And I think he realized it too eventually. But for me, it's like I knew that the more I learned about myself and what I really wanted and what I was really doing subconsciously, I was like, I can't, I can't be in this relationship anymore. So that's, that's my story. It it sounds like, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, it, 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 It sounds like in doing your own work, you was able to untangle yourself from this enmeshment. Yes, because you're almost blind to it, right? Like you you have these, you have these little bits of awareness, like how we could keep fighting or man, like half the time I feel great. And half of the time I feel like shit, Mm. it's constant conflict and, and making, you know, breaking up, making up, breaking up, threatening, leaving, coming back. It's exhausting. And it wasn't until right that I actually detached some and really got more clear about what was going on instead of just being so, you know, just engulfed in the actual relationship itself that I realized just how unhealthy we were both relating. Yeah, that's a really good point. When I, um, when I left my like 15 to 20 year relationship, it's okay. going to sound. This is going to sound really bad, but I'll just say it as it was. There was a lot of grief and pain and sadness, yeah. but after a couple of days, 
there was almost a euphoric feeling of a release of a sense of responsibility. Like all of a sudden I don't have to fix anything. And it really manifested itself in a wave of physical, mental, and spiritual energy, which I, I felt a number of times, like when I stopped drinking alcohol and most recently my coaching containers, you just feel an extra kick. Also changing my diet tremendously. You just, it's almost like most of us go through life with a handbrake applied and we have, and we, some of us think that we're doing really well. And it's not until someone takes it off. You're like, holy shit, I could, I could really do go up a few gears. Yes, exactly. Like when I think back on it now, and especially, you know, what all we're discussing in our coaching container, I was living in a constant state of panic pretty much is what it felt like. And I actually had my first and only ever in my entire life, a full-blown panic attack in that relationship right towards the end. Um, And that's when I was like, wow, my, I mean, my body is literally begging for me to step away from this because I, I I can't function in it anymore. And it is, it's when those relationships end, it is like a death. I mean, it's like, it is so crippling. And on the other side of that, when there's so much energy now that's not being expended and trying to survive in that relationship, and it's just there for you, you're like, oh my gosh, this feels amazing. Hmm. I don't have to fight all the time. I don't have to defend myself all the time. I don't have to you know, provide evidence that I didn't do this and I didn't do that. I, I can wear what I want now. What? I mean, it's... Yeah. It's crazy, but yeah, it's, it's normally how it goes. Right. And it, it follows the pattern of that, like really low, low, and then it's a really high, high. So. Mm. And that, yeah. and that, that enmeshment as well, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's much more than just being enmeshed with the individual on an emotional level. There's a house together. There's pets together. Yes. There's art we've yes. bought. There's CDs and music we've got. There's photo albums like it. And then there's family. Like I think one of the most heartbreaking things from my split was not not being able to see my in-laws who were really like my surrogate mom and dad. Yeah, that's and so then, painful. And then they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's like a breakup by association. It's like you lose so much in that breakup. So much. Mm-hmm. And especially when a lot of your identity is wrapped up in that relationship, which mine was, it's like, oh my God, who am I now? What do I mm-hmm. do now? I was engaged and I moved in with him. I, you know, we put the save the dates out. I bought the dress, booked the venue. I mean, all of that and had to call it off. So mm. it's painful. Super brave. Yeah. So, so, so many, so many people would have gone through it. Like I, I talked to so many people who were like, my mom, inclu- my mom included, like, you know, it's like, I remember saying to my mom once, like, how, how did you end up with this guy? And yeah. she said, Lee, honestly, before I knew it, I was there saying my vows and I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? And then 50 years later, I'm still with him and nothing's changed. Like, you know, it, it's, I think one of the most devastating things for me uh, and why I do this work is actually, it's not, it's not the devastating splits. It's the ones who stay in those dead relationships. And then at some point when their physical life ends, you know, it's yeah. so sad, so sad to me, so sad. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And I, you know, I was one of the lucky ones, really, that I did get out. And, you know, it took a lot for me to finally leave. 
But once I finally did, it's like, thank God that I was able to, because not everybody gets that or, or they, you know, they make it out, but it's after several kids later and a lot of, you know, not that, I mean, they, they're so happy to have their kids, but there's still that tie to that person, right? Like I've oh, yeah. got to walk yeah. away, right? Scott free, but not, and, and they're still dealing with all the torment and all the, you know, abuse and beliefs that they made about themselves because of that relationship. It's, yeah. it's awful. I'll I'll touch upon that in a minute, actually, because I think that's a that's a good point. But I just wanted to throw something in that I think is relatable that I just heard on a coaching call that I was in, where a young lady was talking about those fears, the fears she has around her partner finding other women attractive and that kind of stuff, and how stifling and that fear is. And yeah. as the coach was taking her through the experience and really using some just cognitive behavioral therapy just to to get her to see that this guy really does love her and it's a story that she's creating he said to you're making this guy your god your work here is to love and look after and give yourself and then he he could have what's left over like this guy is not your god so in that enmeshment thing i'm not saying this is you but there is there is a piece here of and it certainly came up for me who am I without this person? I am nothing without this person. And really, we got to look at that and go, really, the, the 7.8 billion people in this world. But you can't see it at that time. And this is where like support and help is really important, right? Absolutely. Because it is. It feels. It just feels like your whole world is crashing down and you're all alone. Because you've already, for the most part, isolated from a bunch of people. And they were your everything. Like you put in everything for them or, or to be with them. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so crazy. And often, and this, you know, ties into just codependency as well. We, we don't want to meet our own needs a lot of the time, right? It's like, we don't, yeah. don't want to have to do it. We want someone else to do it. That's why I'm so obsessed with them meeting it. Cause I don't want to have to do that work. Yeah, And that is, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, what we have to do. And just like how they say, you know, you can never make someone else happy unless you're happy. Well, you can never really meet anyone else's needs or teach someone how to meet your needs if you don't even know them. So that's a part of, you know, my work too with clients is like, what is it that you really need? What are your values? What are your standards? And at what point did you abandon those to stay in this relationship? Yeah, I think that's I think that's amazing. I I'd even go back one one step further, and I mm-hmm. I think it was Alan de Boiton, the English philosopher, I, I, that when I read this, he asks the question, "Why did you get into this relationship?" Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm just going to yeah. be brutally honest here. I've been married uh, twice. Mm-hmm. A significant reason that I got into both relationships was. They were beautiful women, mm-hmm. and there was some part of me, my programming, which was like, you need to have a beautiful woman, and if yeah. you lose this beautiful woman, you will not find another one, so stick close, right? Yeah. Now, I want to just kind of like expand on that a little bit, you know, to just give some people hope, I, I, I think. Hey, where am I going to go with this? So... Some of the things I could tell you and this audience, and I have been doing for many years, could honestly 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if people like, how could anybody be in a relationship with this guy, right? But here, here's, uh-huh. the truth, here's the truth of the, the matter. And I'll make it very simple. So I've been in relationships, two real core relationships of spanning 35 years, right? And there's been times in those relationships where I have vigorously defended to the death my need to be right. And I haven't just defended it because I thought I was wrong. I defended it because I thought I was right. Then, then, as I become more woke, I'm above the line a little bit more, I'm more conscious, I'm doing more work, and I'm understanding myself a bit more, then I'm able to go, holy shit, I was so fucking wrong all the time. And then I have to go back and I have to apologize. I have to... um, uh, seek forgiveness. I have to understand and forgive myself. Right? Yeah. Why am I saying? Why am I saying this? I was clearly in a toxic relationship with myself, but had no clue that I was in a toxic relationship with myself, yeah. which I think is very different. Now, to somebody who knows that they are, let's take gaslighting as an example. I've yeah. gaslighted people. Right? Yeah. Last night, a bit of gaslighting came out of me. Right? Yeah. I've done it, though, and not been aware that I was even doing it. Right, right. If you're aware that you're doing it, that's a different problem. Right. You don't know you're doing it, or you don't know you're doing it, and you're not willing to really work on what it is you don't know. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. That hits the nail on the head, because what you just said is actually something that I would do to justify someone's poor behavior. And what I mean by that is, let's say my ex would gaslight me, but I would say he doesn't even realize what he's doing. And when I would bring it to him, you know, he'd be like, Oh, I didn't even realize that or something. Mm. But you know, if only awareness was enough. Right. But the fact is when you bring that to somebody or you just say, Hey, this really hurts me when you do this. I don't know if this is your intention, but the impact is painful to me. Yeah. And if they can't meet you there or they can't say, wow, I need to turn and look at that. Yeah. Then there's not a whole lot of hope there. Cause you're just, that's where you're kind of at a standstill. Yeah. So, and you, you need some yeah. serious patience around that. I mean, like yes. this is a good example of like, like last night. So I opened up to my wife about something that she'd done that had triggered my inner child. And as I explained this to her, she obviously responded as a human being would do. And then I responded by saying, I can't, something like, I can't believe you're defending yourself right now and you're not meeting me. And we had a bit of a fight about it, but we ended it okay. Like, cause we do now, we just like, Liza was just like, look, I'm putting my boundary up right now. I don't want to talk about this. And I said, I'm going to um, respect that, but I want to talk about it tomorrow. Perfect. I slept, I slept on it. Uh-huh. I woke up this morning and I said, um, I want to apologize for last night. I want to take full responsibility for it. Oh. I was gaslighting. I was telling you that you were being defensive when it's quite clear. And I slept on it that I, that I was super triggered all the way through it. And I was, and I was in survival brain. I was like, just right. But recognizing that and wanting to go back. Now, Liza has uh, a choice then, right? She can say to herself, do I trust this guy? Let's go back 10 years. Uh 
if you can say, do I trust that this guy is going to get it? Do I trust that this guy in his heart is a good guy and he and he's going to get it? Or is this is this a real bad egg, right? Yeah. And somewhere along the line, Liza said, no, I think this guy will get it. And I'm so glad she did because I'm getting it. Yeah. But I would have also understood if she would have let me go and said, this is not a guy I want in my life. Yeah, sure. Exactly. So it, is, it is a tough decision, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. And so many times I hear this all the time and, and it, it was my big fear and story as well of like, I'm going to do all this work with this person and I'm going to go through all this hard stuff and I'm going to walk away. And then later he's going to end up great, work on all of his shit, heal it. And then someone else gets to reap the benefits. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I would stay. But what you said it was the, the different, the different piece of that is that she had collected a, enough evidence about you, not to say that like, you know, to present to the jury, but she had learned enough to, to weigh that out, to say like, wow, I don't like how he's showing up here, but I have all, all these other experiences and all this evidence that I do trust him and that mm. he does show up for me and that I think he's going to get it. And right. So, so she dove in my, story. And so I would say maybe a hundred percent of my clients, maybe 99. If I ask them, when did you know, like, when did you know this, this might not be the best person for me? This might be a bad egg. first date. Yeah. Date yeah. Right at the wipes. beginning. Right. At the beginning. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to go out with this guy again. Like he had, he had said something. It was an interesting question. I think he asked me, you know, what would your ex-boyfriend say about you? If we lined them all up, what would they say? And I was like, oh, that's kind of a great question. I'm fine. I said, they would complain that I would make them go too deep, too fast. Like I want them to talk about like real deep stuff. What, what, what would your ex say about you? And he said, oh, that I, in arguments, I, I go for the low blows. Like I will hit you with something that I know hurts. I was like, Fuck, I'm not going out with that guy ever again. And I got engaged to him. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, so, you know, and that's why, again, if we really look back and, and dial it down to our values, our, our desires, our wants, what we say we want, at some point, we abandoned ourselves. We, we abandoned our truth because he's so hot. I just want to get married. He makes me feel this. The sex is great. La, 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 whatever it is. I'm, I'm not alone. Yeah, I'm not alone. I'm not, a, I'm not a freak. I'm, I'm normal right. with some. I'm lovable. Nothing's mm. wrong with me. I, I'm desirable. I'm wanted. All of that. One of the um, one of the big things that has really helped me to really be able to take one hundred percent responsibility, and I certainly have more compassion with life and stuff. Is uh, attachment styles. Yes. Um, you know, learning that I am secure, but secure, yeah. anxious. Yeah. And light and light is secure avoidant. So right. just for people listening here, just to give a little bit of a description of the core attachment styles in relationships and, and touch upon love addict and love avoidant, because I'd never heard that before. Yes. Okay. So a lot of this comes from Pia Melody's work. Um, and I know it goes back before her, but she's the most I've researched, let's mm. say. The codependence so, queen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So all so all love addicts 
are codependent, even though not all codependent people are love addicts. So there's lots of different attachment styles. You know, we say disorganized or, you know, insecure attachment, avoidant, anxious. There's so many. Uh, Love avoidant and love addict. I love to talk about because they are an extreme end of the spectrums, but you, you can almost, you can find yourself in, in one of them. So like anxious and avoidant, I would say is most common in all the insecure, right? But my belief is that we can be really secure, but we're only as secure, you know, as the person we're with. So if someone is super duper anxious, sometimes mm. it can bring out avoidant tendencies in us or if someone's really, really avoidant that can spike up a lot of anxiety in us sometimes. Mm. So, yes. So I'm going to tell you what a love avoidant is, what a love addict is, and then how they came to be basically and how they relate to each other. So I'll start with a love addict. A love addict is someone who is obsessed and very enmeshed with their partner. So it started because as a child, they faced a lot of emotional or physical neglect from one or both parents. So again, it it can be extreme as, you know, maybe they had a parent who was an addict or not around at all, or, you know, who knows, or it could just be, you know, they, you know, the kid played sports and they, you know, went to a great school and all these things, but the parents were always working and they were never really around. Hmm. Um, Another way this can show up is you can have one parent who's really emotionally available, but then another parent isn't. So there's a lot of inconsistency. So, you know, as children, we are biologically wired to please our parents and, and they're our caregivers. It's our first experience of a relationship. So subconsciously when a child's needs and emotional needs, especially are not being met, they will make that mean, okay, well, something's wrong with me. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. What's wrong with me? Why doesn't dad ever want to be with me? Or why doesn't mom ever want to be with me? So they get into this unhealthy pattern of like, let me pretzel myself to be whatever dad needs me to be, or let me people please, or my emotions don't matter. Like, I'll just take care of yours. And that's how I'll get my needs met. So And again, that inconsistency is a big part of this. And that's what also shows up later on in life in romantic relationships is like the personal, especially with an avoidant, it's like, you're there for me and then you're gone and then you're there for me and then you're gone. And it's that constant push, pull, push, pull, which just brings up so much anxiety for the anxious love addict. So then a love avoidant on the other end um, is someone who just has a fear of getting really emotionally bonded with someone else and they fear intimacy. This typically happens again. They didn't get their emotional needs met either. And there's a lot of neglect. The tricky thing with the love avoidant is usually they are raised by a parent that is actually a love addict and their parents. So let's just say it's a mom and a son. The mom is not getting her needs met in her marriage. So she's got this beautiful son now that can love her unconditionally and be there and meet her needs. So she sort of projects 
all of her emotional needs onto the child. So mm. it's like being parentified, right? So the child becomes a surrogate parent or a surrogate yeah. partner, which sounds bizarre, but that's what happens. So, so then that little boy, you know, feels like, oh, oh, well, in order for me to survive, I've got to take care of someone. I've got, I've got a, my mom is now depending on me. But that creates a lot of feelings of resentment and the child feels suffocated because it just wants to be a kid. And yet here it is trying to take care of mom. Yeah. 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 So you can imagine when these two come together, (laughs) what that's like. And it's really interesting with love avoidant people because they can actually come on really strong in the beginning because they've been programmed to believe I'm best in a relationship. I'm only needed and worthy and wanted if I'm taking care of someone. And then the love addict comes in and she, you know, they're, if it's a female, she's loving it. She's getting all the attention. And then she starts to get even more and more obsessed and the love avoidance like, well, I'm smothered again. I can't handle this. I got to get out of here. Mm. And it just, and that's the whole cycle that takes on. Yeah. I uh, identify with love addicts. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, I, def- yeah. I definitely identify with love addict, and and I can see how my love addict um, pattern, and I and I think it's really important to use that pattern so we don't define ourselves as exactly. being a certain way. Yes, because it's just exactly. happening, right? It's not like we decided that we we're going to be a dick one day. It just happens because, as you said, yeah. it happened in childhood, and who can remember? <laughs> Exactly. It's not your fault. You are literally having, you know, a biologically correct response to this. Yes. This is how you were programmed or brought up or learned what love was. That is how we relate. It's just what we were taught. So a lot of our work is really just this undoing of what we were taught by our parents. Yeah, that repair, like like that, that one thing of holy. So for example, let's so Liza can slip into avoidant um, when I'm anxious, right? Which is yeah. now is, is obvious if you're listening to this. Like if I'm like all needy, 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 she's like, get the fuck away from me. What are you being so needy for? Right. So it, it activates right. each other. Um, yes. But in the past, I'd be like. She doesn't care about me. Um, she uses me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I would feel really bad. Now I'm like, oh, I, I or something has just activated Liza's pattern. And then yes. I, can, I can view her as a, as a child almost, even though she's an adult. And I can be like, mm-hmm. okay, um, I need to show up in a certain way. That's the hardest part. <laughs> I, I yes. need to show up in a certain way for her and not make yes. this about me. That's so good. That's so good. And that's how you break that cycle. And that's how you break that pattern too and start to show up differently. You know, that's that's the work right there. Because mm. both both attachment styles, both people, this is why this is why we pull each other in. It's like we both have the exact same wounding, even though we're relating to it differently. Yeah. The wounding is fear of abandonment. Yeah. Fear of being alone, fear of being rejected, right? That's what mm. is going on there. So if you can learn to see that in the other person, it's like, how can I show up to meet their needs and also express what mine are in a healthy way? That's where the healing takes place. And I guess is to bookend this whole conversation, why this is really important. Last two questions, I'll merge them into one is, um, 
why I mean, we're talking about it a little bit here, but why do some people seem to always end up in a toxic relationship? And what advice would we give to someone leaving a toxic relationship and then healing to date again? Kind yeah. of we're talking about that, right? It's yeah, pattern. absolutely. It is. It is the pattern. And because and you and you keep getting in the same relationships just with a different face. Yeah. Because you haven't really sat with the pain and dealt with, you know, a lot of the stuff that happened way long ago in childhood, mm-hmm. the stuff that you haven't wanted to look at or, or made it to where that wasn't a big deal, you know, that whatever happened. So until we learn the lesson or until we see where it is that we are entering a relationship from, which you, you spoke to earlier, like, am I entering in this, in this relationship because I'm so terrified of being alone? Or am I entering in this relationship because I am so full and so in love with who I am and I know more of who I am and now this is the cherry on top, right? Yeah, that we were talking yeah. about today. So my advice about, you know, if we're getting out of a toxic relationship, personally, I have my, pl- uh, my clients go on a dating detox. Mm. So we're not dating, we're committing to not dating and it doesn't have to be forever. You know, people are like, but I've waited so long and I'm getting older in a timeline and I just want, I get it. But if you keep, if you keep just jumping onto the next partner, it's just going to happen again. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's doing the harder thing now so that it's easier in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I remember having I remember having dinner with a former podcast guest. She's from America, but she was in London, and we met up for dinner. And I'm just like, yeah. "How's it going?" You know, just talking. And she said, "I'm I'm finally ready to date again." And mm-hmm. um, I found so much maturity in those words. And I said, "Oh, how long has it been?" And she said, "A year." Yeah. Uh, and as as we were talking about it, I realized that the year wasn't the metric. It was her understanding of her own body her own mind her own soul her own her own patterns she knew when she was ready right whereas for me i know now that i wasn't ready so i i again like i'm like you i would be kind of like okay i think the work here is really understanding your toxic relationship with yourself and then ready because here's a good example i had with a client the other day she has an anxious attachment style she got into, she started to date a guy who was hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, and cold. Sex was amazing, but then she yeah. craved him and he'd go missing, right? So I said, what attachment style do you think he's got? And she's like, avoidant. Well, anxious avoidant is like, you, you know, that's going to be really difficult, right? Yeah. So I said to her, I know this is like super highly rational, but what pattern do you want to be in a relationship with? She's like, secure. So okay. it was almost like this guy is intoxicating. It's intoxicating the sex. His, his sex pack, everything is intoxicating. But for a long-term term, long term, it's almost like, fuck the guy. But it's a long-term relationship. You want to be avoiding this guy like the play, but there was something sucking her into it, right? Totally. That, only that awareness, now that she's going, doing the work, that it's like, okay, I, let me try another guy. It's almost like on yeah. Tinder, you need to have like, what's your, what's your attachment style? <laughs> and just filter, yeah. just filters for secure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I wish that was a checkbox. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I would. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you know, I'll leave it with this too, because this is the, you know, non-sexy answer, but it's, it's just the reality of it. 
when your nervous system and your your body is actually so used to these like just that intoxifying like um unhealthy roller coaster kind of dynamic it's gonna take a minute for yeah. you to readjust to actually something that's healthy for you because you like the roller coaster and now you're on the i don't know lazy river or gondola <laughs> whatever you know and it's like well this sucks but if you really want a healthy secure loving relationship it's all available. And and if you're doing your work and you are showing up and, and learning more about who you are, like if you exist, they exist. The mm. other person is out there. It's just having so much compassion for yourself and so much grace and yeah, just that willingness to do the work and stay committed mm. to that. So yeah. folks, you heard it here. You can fix up a relationship by doing the work on yourself, but don't do it alone reach out and work with someone like Megan. Uh, Megan, it's been really great talking to you. How could people get hold of you? What's the best way for them to get hold of you? Yeah, I, I pretty much do everything just through Instagram. So it's mm -hmm. Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Toma, T-H-O-M-A. You can just shoot me a DM and we'll go from there. Super easy. Okay, go seek her out, folks, and <laughs> figure out if you're a love addict or love avoidant and get working on it. Thanks for being uh, a guest on 1000 Days Sober. Really appreciate it and keep up the oh, good work. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. So happy to be here. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to that conversation with Megan Thomas. I hope it opened your eyes a little bit or certainly helped you to ask some questions when it comes to toxic relationships. If you would like to work with Megan Thomas, email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. If you would like to work with me, do the same thing. And if you would like to take part in our free five-day challenge, the Alcohol Lightboard Challenge, where we promise to help you uncover the real reason why you drink alcohol, then head to www.1000daysober.com. Look at the top of the page and you will see the link to the Alcohol Lightboard channel. I'll see you on the other side. If you want to be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or recover from any other addiction, improve your relationship with yourself and those that you love, or just want to learn to live a more conscious life, then here is what we can do to help you at 1000 Days Sober. Number one, we have a Strive subscription service, okay? So you pay a monthly fee, you come and join us, you come into our community, you get access to all our Marco Polo groups, you get access to our Kajabi group, you get access to uh, content that you will not see in the public sphere, mainly by yours truly, but by other people in my network of friends as well. What else do you get? You get access to a weekly coaching call with myself. So you can get coaching, a one-on-one -on -one coaching with me on that weekly coaching call. And you get money off various different workshops and uh, invites to lots of other free stuff. So that's our subscription service. You could do group coaching programs, okay? Right now we have two group coaching programs both called the Strive Method. The first one is addictions, okay? And they last for six months. The relationship course also lasts for six months. We've got Strive Method for addictions, Strive Method for relationships. There are workshops, okay? Or you can work with me personally one-on-one, -on -one, okay? You can work with me personally one-on-one. -on -one. And if you want to get involved in any of that, then just head to www.1000daysober.com and you will find everything that's going on there, okay? We have pages there on the website which will direct you in the right place and how to get older me, including a workshop space there as well. We're always running workshops, so you can sign up for those as well. Last but not least, if you do love this show and it has changed your life and you want to change the lives of somebody else, tell somebody about it. 
and rate and review it in your podcast provider. I would really appreciate that. If you want to just reach out to me, ask me a question, just email me, 1kdaysober.com, ah, at gmail.com. Much love, everybody. Bye.